Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hi, everybody. Let's put this up a little bit. There we are. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas, and this is episode 79 of the Luke Thomas Live Chat. It is 4.02 in the afternoon. I should say 4.02 in the afternoon. Here on the 17th of June, 2021. I uh, hope you're doing well. My daughter's having a motherfucking meltdown outside, so who knows if she might come barging in. Tears streaming and incoherence being babbled. Um, if you'd be so kind, give the video a thumbs up. You can see it right here. You can hit that subscribe button as well. We are barreling down the final 10K stretch towards our first goal of 100K. So any uh, and all subscriptions are greatly appreciated. What will we get to today? Let's see. We got some breaking news on some uh, bullshit <laughs> uh, sideshows, which apparently, you know, I'll make money off of it. The check's good enough, but not in this particular case. I'm not really involved. Uh, in all seriousness, Triller's got an announcement. There's some Anderson Silva contest this weekend. There are some actual real combat sports. I'd like to get to that weekend. Whatever is on your mind, um, we will do that here today. So I appreciate you tuning in. And without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right. And we are back. Okay. Um, golly, what a day. What a day. Found squirrels in the attic today. That was fun. And on the same day, my dryer broke. So I have to pay to, for, to someone to get the squirrels out of my attic. And I have to buy a new dryer. So, <laughs> that was supposed to be vacation money. But uh, I guess not now. Now it's going to be home ownership money. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, all right, let me turn this off here. Uh, let's see, where's the line? There we go. Okay. All right, so I put these thingies uh, up on the questions thread up on uh, the Morning Combat YouTube channel's community section, as I always do. I usually do it the night before. This time I did not. But uh, here we go today. All right. Let's get to it. First question. Can we all agree that BC's Diaz Brothers versus Paul Brothers idea is peak BC? Skinny liver season, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, man, it's a genius idea. It's a genius and devilish idea at the exact same time. I absolutely hate it um, for all the reasons you guys could well imagine. But at the same time, you know, it's like... Is this where the market is? This is where the market is. And if you're going to go where the market is, I, 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 am, I am struggling to think of a better permutation, uh, or I should say iteration maybe, of this exhibition thing and the current climate than this. You know, and honestly, to be candid with you, if the Diaz brothers were involved with Bellator 
there's a decent chance I think Showtime would just make that, honestly. I mean, if they're going to make Jake Paul, I, 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 again, I don't speak for Showtime, to be very clear. You know, a lot of times news comes down from another reporter, not even us, and I had no idea it was coming. But, you know, if they put on Mayweather and Logan and they're going to do the Jake and Tyron thing, why would they not do the Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz versus Paul thing? If, Of course, if, uh, assuming it could be made. And it would fucking kill. And it would kill. Uh, BC's got a mind for... Like, when we were in Miami, I don't know if this is the story exactly, but when we were in Miami, he was thinking the entire time about, like, before the weigh-ins and then after the weigh-ins and then, like, for walkouts and, like, post-fight and stuff. He was always calling out to me, like, angles that the Paul brothers should take or things Mayweather should do to heighten the atmosphere or to, you know, to move the narrative. It's, like, total pro wrestling stuff, but, you know, if you've got a mind for it, you can see some interesting angles to, to make things work. And, again... I hope that we never see that, but um, BC's got an eye for it, man. He's got an eye for it. No denying it. Which fighter who has the most outdated style is still currently the most successful? Outdated style. All right. So is there somebody who's like, you know, a 2012 wrestle boxer who is kind of still getting it done? Man. I mean, you can still win with those styles, but you're asking for like somebody who is like who's the who's the best version of like an outdated style that's currently still doing well. I mean, you would have said a couple of years ago maybe Demi and Maya, something like that. Um, I don't think Ferguson's style is outdated. Per, I don't know if that's quite the right word for it, um, because it's not a function of well, sort of a function of the game's modernity in terms of why he is. Uh, had some recent struggles. Out, I mean, you could have said Khabib. I mean, his, I mean, the individual tactical uh, instruments that he uses are not outdated. But if you want to sort of zoom out and say, you know, is this sort of like hyper specialization? Is that outdated as a mode of uh, best practices? Maybe you could have gone in that. I'm trying to think. Like, you know, Alexi Olenek is kind of in that conversation in a weird way. Um, even the but here's the thing like there's a lot of guys who've been hanging around a long time but they've kind of picked up a few extra skills along the way. There's very few people competing with, you know, really outdated. It's a good question. It's a great question. I'm not really sure who the answer would be. Um, is there someone over in Bellator I'm not thinking about? I feel like there's a big youth movement happening in the sport more generally. I mean, there are some figures that hang on that kind of tell you that maybe that's not true but I think in general uh there's not a lot of people who are using you know 2012's best practices as a way to to get ahead let's see there's six replies so let's see what they say someone says Nate Esparza Edgar Chandler Edgar Edgar's an interesting one um because he was way ahead of the curve for a while but the game caught up but I still wouldn't say his style is outdated. Um, I mean, there's a difference between having a style that's outdated and then, uh, you know, what are the individual just limits of that fighter independent of that style? I mean, of course, the style is going to be a function of who they are in many ways. In some ways, it's a expression of their personality. But, like, if you had to pinpoint what's wrong with, with Edgar, you know, would you be like, oh, his style is just really outdated? I would just say... Um, 
you know, any kind of, yes, there's something to be said for that. Any kind of style's usefulness is going to have something of a shelf life. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, he's got enough modern things going on where he's not some kind of relic either, right? So it's it's a little bit of a weird situation here. Out of all the recent Georgian fighters, and he means the country. God damn, this thing is fucking up my neck. I'm gonna have to. I, got, I, I told you guys, or maybe I didn't. I like pinched a nerve in my uh, in my right fucking trap here. God damn it, that thing hurts. Jesus, I'm gonna try and switch uh, screens here if I can. I gotta turn on this computer here because uh, this thing is messing my neck up. Jesus. Uh, out of all the recent Georgian fighters to explode on the MMA scene, which, if any, do you think will become a champion first? Giga Chikadze, Marab seem the most likely. Those guys are good. That kid that's fighting Ryan Hall, I mean, it's so early in his development. I don't want to make a, a claim that, you know, oh, we, we, you know, the title is next for him. I don't, I don't know. Tapurian, I think his name is. I've seen him fight maybe once or twice, and whatever. every time I've seen him, I've been like, that dude is fucking good. Um, he's good. Um... Who's another Georgian fighter beyond? Marab is good. Marab's very good. He's got an, a motor like I've just never seen before. But at the same time, um, there's a little bit of polish issues that I think he has to work on before I could declare that he's a uh, he's got championship future uh, written over him. Giga Chikadze, I think, is going to develop into somebody pretty... Uh, obviously, already is pretty special, but I mean like really upper echelon special. Whether he wins a title or not, I don't know. I mean, that's... It, the only time you want to stamp on someone as they come through that they've got a title on the horizon. Like when I saw Habib coming through, I was like, man, you know, I don't know if he's going to win a title, but like he is going to contend for one. When when St. Pierre was coming through, dude, you just knew it was inevitable. Um, and I don't want like, oh, because I, you know, uh, just because you didn't read it a certain way doesn't mean it, it won't happen. I, lots of people over, uh, uh, you know, achieve estimations from people around them so that doesn't mean anything necessarily but I'm just saying personally I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to be like that's a future champ unless they're doing something that's just blowing you away and these Georgian guys are very impressive but I've not seen you know generational talent out of them just yet um, but uh, but yeah all of them are good all of them I can't believe we've never seen Tony versus Nate in their prime. Is now the perfect time to make that fight. Who do you think wins? Shit, man. I'm not even sure who wins that one at this point. I mean, yeah, obviously, I would have said a while ago, Tony. Probably still would side with Tony. But I think it's obviously a lot more competitive. How it never happened, I'm sure it got offered to them one way or the other at some point in their careers. But, you know, Nate wasn't taking it or he wasn't interested or, you know something else came along or Tony wasn't feeling it or he wanted a title shot or who knows, who knows could be any number of things that prevented it from happening in terms of it's, you know, getting signed pen to paper. But I, I think the better question and one I would like to know, maybe next time if I ask them or if I next time I see them, I'll ask them, which is, um, were you ever, were you ever, uh, offered the fight? I think that's a little bit more of an interesting question. Were you ever offered the contest? Uh, and if so, you know, if you turned it down or it fell apart, why? Uh, I, I, I'd be very surprised if that like never, I mean, because it, you know, occurs to all of us more so now given the circumstances, but it wasn't like that'd be like something like shocking to never think about. So like, why didn't that happen? Um, th that'd be good. 
Uh, all right. Let's see. All right. Put that fucking thing over here. God damn my neck. Whew. Bros, when you get old, shit just stops working. You might be like, Luke, what'd you do to your neck to like fuck it up? You know what I did? True story. Took a nap. <laughs> you know how DC one was like, oh, I almost threw my back out sneezing. I was like, I feel that, bro. You know? I know I know how that is. I know how that is because I woke up from a nap. I don't know when it was, but a week or two ago, two ago, two weeks ago. And I was like, God damn, my fucking neck hurts. And I was sleeping kind of like this. Oh, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. All right. How do you think Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman will play out given their strengths and weaknesses? Much like the first time, Kamaru would close distance on him. And I think take him down and hold him down. I don't know how exciting it would be, but I don't... I, I, Listen, Leon Edwards is deserving of major opportunities and uh, fights and card placement and, frankly, money that he's been denied by virtue of bad luck, the pandemic, uh, who knows? Um, you know, the Bilal Muhammad fight was kind of weird and everything. Like, there's been a lot of circumstances that have kind of impeded his development, not so much as a fighter per se, although there might be a little bit to be said about that, but certainly for his name value, for his uh, visibility. Um, but... As much as I'm entirely sympathetic to that, I mean, I don't think anyone really suffered more in terms of what they were supposed to get versus what they didn't uh, than Leon Edwards, at least in terms of the pandemic. Remember, he was supposed to headline that big card in the UK and the whole thing fell apart. Um, but I don't think we should overestimate his chances. I don't think you should take what is a genuine, rightful point about uh, how good he is and what's been denied him and then turn that into a separate conversation about like oh well is he the best welterweight on the planet I, I i don't get the vibe that he is i get i get the vibe that he is among the very best for sure um stranger things have happened if he were to win but i i think kamaru is several steps ahead What are your thoughts on Dustin Poirier allegedly knocking amateurs? You mean like <laughs> a lot of different ways to interpret that. And are you surprised Colby and Dustin have this much animosity with each other considering they are in different weight divisions? I, I have not heard anything about this. Did Colby make some claim in the gym about something? Listen, man, I'm not uh, suggesting to you that that is wrong if that's the way uh, the information has been revealed. But I would be very... I'd be very hesitant to not get Dustin's side of the story. By the way, could also be possible that maybe back in the day he was a gym bully and now he's not, right? There, or you know, could be the case that he actually is. I, I would just say, if if Colby again, I don't know, I've not heard any of this, but if Colby has made a claim, um, you know, it's much like other people in the industry, it could be very well true, but you'd be you'd be very well served to double check. Do I think it's surprising that Colby and Dustin have this much animosity? No. They're prize fighters. And one has said incredibly horrible shit about the other. Like, that's just how it goes, right? Uh, let's see. Will non-Apple users 
ever have a method to review and get a question on the MK podcast for Room Service Diaries? Yeah, I'll figure something out. I, I, I don't know. CBS comes down, they're like, tell people to do this, so we do it. You know, with like the leaving the review thing, but I don't prefer that way because it's just gaming the system, which I'm very clear about. You're just trying to game, you game the system in terms of, um, you know, how many reviews it has and what it does to your standing there. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Luke, your cardio routine. Uh, let's see. Cardio, not my favorite, uh, as you can well imagine. Not a lot of people's favorite. So what I do is I find a way to incorporate general mobility and a little bit of strength training into it. You guys know if you saw it, follow me on Instagram, I bought the uh, the Tank M1 sled. That thing has been, that thing is a fucking beast. Man, let me tell you. Listen, here's the way home gym equipment works as best I can tell. Not an expert, but you know, the last, really the last three, four years I've been kind of slowly investing. Um, the trick to it is buy cheap when you're supposed to buy cheap. Like if you have a pair of, a set of weights you can buy on eBay and they're cast iron and there's not hardly any rust on them and you need them for your barbell, do buy those things. Like you don't need to get brand new things. Now, obviously if you need to get brand new weights for whatever reason, like you need bumper plates that, and you can't find any around you at a cheap price and you want to get some new ones. Okay, whatever. But if you can find deals, you do not need to spend a lot of money on stuff like that. You could, there's all kinds of little hacks you can do, um, to save your money. But I also firmly believe that if you're going to get some foundational equipment, you might want to spend a little bit more money on those. Even then, you can play around with things. Like, do you have to buy a brand new barbell? No. Uh, if you can find one in good condition, blah, 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 you get the idea. But, you know, certainly during the pandemic, a lot of this stuff was in short supply. But my view is there's a couple of foundational items you're going to want to pay a little bit of money for. One, I, I like to pay, you know, uh, I want to get an, a, a newer barbell. That's something I can have for maybe the rest of my life, literally. So right, you want, really want to get quality. Um. What else did I buy that was new? I bought the new bells, adjustable dumbbells, right? I feel like I had years and years and years ago, I bought the the Bowflex ST, I think 1020s, 1090s. It's the one that goes to 90 pounds in each hand. They're okay, but they're, and this is true with all adjustable dumbbells, they're a little bit, dude, if you're pressing 90 pounds, whatever it might be in each hand, and you're done with the set, let's say even if you're incline benching or you're flat benching, once the weight comes back down, if, if you're not careful, um, and the weight can be hard to control, even if you're very strong, you know, they're, you can't drop the weights like you do in the gym. Like they're very, very delicate. They're good to press, but they're very delicate. Um, the newer bells are a little bit easier to wield, although they're kind of sensitive too. Um, but I'm pointing out like, those are some things where, you know, getting a nice set of adjustable dumbbells, a nice, you know, again, barbell, if you can find them used, great. Um, uh, Anyway, you're asking about the cardio, the sled. That was something I had tried out, and I was like, man, I think I like this fucking sled. And then so I, I bought one. It's it's a monster. It's a, You can do so many different things with it. I bought the, um, the, 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 the two handles that come on the rope where you're supposed to pull back like this. But the problem is I'm too tall. I actually can't extend my arm fully. I actually get locked here because I can't pull it any further. So that was a fail. But... I also got the rope to pull, bros. That is an amazing thing. So I'll do 30 minutes, a minute on, a minute off of pulling, and then I'll do pulling, pushing, rest, pulling, pushing, rest, pulling, pushing, rest, max effort for 30 minutes. You will be huffing and puffing like a motherfucker on that. And all you need is one, you don't even need it, but you can put just 145 on the M1. 
put it on, it has adjustable settings, neutral, uh, neutral one, two, three. Three is like very hard to push. And again, it's, it's got accommodated resistance. So the more you push, the more it resists. So I'll put it on two and then I'll pull. I'm telling you, dude, that will wear your ass out. It is fantastic. And like, I just can't do, I just can't run for five miles. I can't, I can do a little bit of biking for like leisure. And then over time, it ends up being like 20, 25 miles. And then it's kind of fun, but I just need something that um, is, you know, it's a movement pattern. It's got a little bit of strength built into it. Um, you know, high intensity, uh, you know, walking the dogs for an hour kind of counts too, but it's not really, you know, I don't program that. Um, but I do program that I do 30 minutes. Uh, and I'm just, you know, every, every time you're on, you are on, you know what I mean? It's great. Luke, with Leon Edwards' performance last weekend, do you think Jorge Masvidal can beat him? Yes. I wasn't sure prior to the Diaz-Edwards fight, but after seeing Leon get rocked by Nate, I'm leaning towards Jorge being able to do the same. It's a great matchup. Obviously, you don't want to play too much MMA math, but who beat Nate worse? You know, I would argue strongly that Masvidal beat him worse. Masvidal's striking is super good. Super good. Uh, is it the very best in the division? Obviously, he had trouble with Wonder Boy. Well, that's function of styles as well. But man, his jab is phenomenal. His 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 range is tremendous. Uh, range management, I should say. Um, his accuracy is good. His shot selection is good. His reactive decision making is good. Like he's fucking good, dude. And he's got good power too. Um, he's a little bit mean. You know, with the way he fights? Yeah. I, I, Jorge is a tough fight. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean about Leon. It's like Leon's finally arrived in a space where these are the kinds of guys he should be fighting. And certainly, I want to be clear, Leon fighting Jorge is a winnable fight for Leon. Like, I don't want to suggest that it's not. I would favor Jorge to win. But, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, but these are the, th th this is his peer group. His peer group is not 10 to 5. His peer group is not really, let's say, 8 to 10. I think it's somewhere in that three to six range, three to seven range. That's where I think his peer group is. And that's where Jorge Masvidal, I think, finds himself. It's a tough fight. Tough fight. I'm a brand new combat sports fan. The first card, uh, first fight card I ever watched was UFC 253. Now I'm all in. What are the best, most entertaining fighters and fights I should watch on Fight Pass? I'm looking for fighters that have been retired long enough that people don't talk about them anymore. Great question. And will Bellator ever put their fight library on Showtime? Bro, I've asked the exact same question. And you know what I answer I get every time? Every time I ask that, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what they're going to do. The only thing they ever say to me when I ask is like, dude, are you going to have like a, are you going to put these fights anywhere? You know, like what are we going to do with these things? And uh, they always say, yeah, you can just go on the website and fire them up, which is true. But the search functionality on the website blows. Um, you know, the website is, it's fine, you know, but it's not like, it's not, it's not a dedicated space for fights. Like it, one thing you got to give UFC a lot of credit for with Fight Pass is, man, it's just a dedicated space for live fights, for libraries, other stuff too. But, you know, you know where to go to get that stuff to just kind of mix it into your Bellator site. I just don't think that's the kind of dedicated space that it needs. Now you're asking about this question, you know, this is the way you worded it. I'm looking for fighters that have been retired long enough that people don't talk about them anymore. Great, great point. I got a couple of them for you. One, Randy Couture. Randy Couture had a really interesting career. Bouncing 
in the early age between rings and UFC and a lot of other places. Fought at heavyweight, fought at light heavyweight, had a really long career. In many ways, had to kind of Nate Diaz record. He wins some and he lose some, but Couture was beloved by the fan base for a really long time, in part because he had, you know, he had battles with management and wanted to fight Fedor, and that, you know, sort of made him look like a, what's the word? You know, he was a, he was a leader in the clubhouse kind of a thing. But, you know, he's got some incredible wins. I mean, if you've never seen the Tim Sylvia fight, that might be his best win ever. I mean, I just can't overstate it. The guy had lost to Chuck Liddell, retired, said he was going to come back. I lost to Chuck Liddell twice, by the way, uh, viciously. Said he was going to come back. Everyone's like, oh, I remember it. I remember it so distinctly. Everyone was like, dude, what the fuck is Couture doing? And then there were some videos that came out and some photos that came out of some of the dudes he had in his camp. You guys know, and I remember this name. It's a bit of a hardcore name, but he had Eric Pele in his in his camp. And I was like, damn, he brought Pele into there? You know? Uh, not Pele Landy Johns, a different guy, but Eric Pele, this big Hawaiian motherfucker. And... Uh, he brought in all kinds of people, and then when he came back, it was in, I think it was in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Maybe it was Cincinnati, but it was Ohio. Crowd was epic. Crowd was incredible. And um, Junkie one time, I could be wrong about this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what happened. Junkie had, uh, and this is a little bit of a different era, but they just took a recording that someone made inside the arena, no video, of Bruce Buffer introducing Couture back for the first time. Dude, you would have thought they were introducing Elvis in his fucking prime. I mean, they 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 were shaking that bitch with their cheers and stomps and hooting and hollering. It was incredible. And then he comes out inside leg kick, overhand, I think it was overhand right, and drops Sylvia. And dude, <laughs> the place exploded. I don't even know what it would be. Imagine Nate Diaz, um, you know, reti- no, retiring. This is this is not quite right because because he was Couture's Captain America and Diaz is you know uh, the anti-hero. But in terms of how the population of MMA fans respond to him, it, there are some similarities in that in that particular kind of way. And imagine he came back inside leg kick, dropped the hammer on him, and uh, became became champion as a result. I mean, he got a title shot out of nowhere. You know, you just could you like imagine he did it to Kamar Usman. And then, and then on top of it, he beat the fuck out of Tim Sylvia for 25. And I mean, Tim, I don't know if Tim landed a punch hardly in that fight. It, it, it just one of the most, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in combat sports. So if you've never seen, and, and when he beat Tito Ortiz, he spanked him. You guys remember it? When, you know, what's his face? Uh, Adesanya grabbing Vittori's ass. Go watch Couture. Uh, fucking put, putting the beat down on Tito. And this was like when Tito was very good. Like Tito was a legit, super excellent 205er at that time. And Couture went in there and, and, and quite literally spanked him. Um, and then he's got the losses too. He's got the loss to Brock. He had the one win, the first win over Chuck Liddell. And then you could see how Chuck Liddell kind of got the better of him the second two times. Um, he has the loss to Josh Barnett. But then he had that amazing win where he fucking lifted and dropped uh, Gabriel Gonzaga and shattered his nose and fucked him up. Like, Couture had an amazing career. So that's one I would go to. Let me pick somebody from Pride. Who's someone from Pride? Um, a lot of directions I could go in Pride. Vanderlei Silva. Go look at Prime Vanderlei Silva. Dude, there was hardly a person in MMA more feared in his prime than Vanderlei Silva. There was a, there was a stretch of his career where he was 
terrifying. He was unbeatable. He was hittable, but for a mo- or at least or at least he gave off the perception that he was unbeatable. And he, dude, remember, in Pride, remember you could soccer kick and stomp. He had. Uh, <laughs> I've talked about it previously years ago on this live chat. Like everyone thinks the hard part about fighting is the receiving of damage. And to be clear, that is a very, very hard part, if not, in fact, the hardest part for many people. But I've said this before, one thing that people don't think about until they've actually trained and then they have to go out there and do it is the delivery of punishment. And uh, and um, it's, not, it's not as easy as you think. Not just the skills to learn it, but the, but the willingness to hurt another person, especially when they're, when they're suffering and you can see it. Not everyone has that in him. Dude, Vanderlei Silva. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a guy who had, when it came to dishing out fucking brain damage to other people, he didn't have a second of hesitation. Nothing. And he had wild technique for a time, but he was part of the shoot a box versus Brazilian top team rivalries. And, you know, um, fought outside of his weight class. Uh, you know, more than once, but when he was on, dude, he was, and that the the wins over Rampage when he knees him and then sends him through the ropes, dude. Vanderlei Silva in his prime. I don't even know who would you look at today as like who's the guy who's feared now, in a way where people feared Vanderlei in that time. I I I don't know who that would be. I honestly don't know who that would be. Uh. Just a complete sledgehammer of a man. Why didn't Bilal Muhammad get to speak to Joe Rogan after his fight? So I had a lot of people write me about this. And um, it's an interesting question. So Bilal is obviously Palestinian. Uh, He's American, but he's Palestinian-American. And he wears the Palestinian kit. Uh, He comes out to Palestinian music. And... Um, people thought that they didn't give him the rub because he would say something pro-Palestinian. Listen, I can't say that that is entirely untrue, um, but I'm a little bit skeptical of that theory, to be honest with you. Uh, First, you know, it wasn't the most exciting fight, and we all understand beating Demi and Maya is very difficult to do. And whether Tyron Woodley is doing it, whether Kamaru is doing it and Colby, granted, Kamaru and Colby put on more punishment. But, you know, people didn't exactly say that those fights were amazing after that was over. A lot of it got overshadowed with Kamaru's 30% comment and Colby's, you know, you Brazilians or animal kind of thing, whatever exact wording was, I forget now. But so, yeah, like maybe those were better. This was not the most thorough beating that. Maya ever got, but you know, it wasn't exactly great. Maybe that played a role, but the biggest thing I think actually played a role was they had three scheduled five round fights coming up after that. And they had gone the distance. Now I understand that the fight previously was pretty short inside of a round, but then this one went the full distance. I think that they really wanted to avoid all three of those fights afterwards going the full distance and them not being on pay-per-view. That fight went really late into the evening, unusually late for UFC and I think they were just trying to save on broadcast time. And I know what people think. They're like, oh, there are other ways to save on broadcast time. You're, you're right. There are. There are other things you can cut. But I'm just telling you the way producers look at things. They will go to the post-fight interview if there's time. And if there's not, they'll cut that out. Because all of those other assets, 
anything promoting another fight, anything to do with a sponsor, anything to do with graphic elements that they have to talk about on the screen or whatever, that's all planned ahead of time. Guys, there's something called the ROS in production, run of show. And what happens is they will go minute by minute over what it's supposed to look like. Now, obviously, they have to create some leeway and some, uh, you know, some openness, depending on if a fight goes a minute versus 15 or 25 or whatever. There's flexibility in the run of show to some extent, but the whole thing is planned. And you have to go over it with the producers before the show, piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. Okay? Um, you know ahead of time which elements you can cut out. I'm just telling you, post-fight conversations, that's the first thing they're, they're going to cut because they can't cut the ads. They're not going to cut all of the assets that they've loaded in the system to then play for a sponsor or you know whatever, the next fight or whatever. They're not going to cut that. But they can cut somebody who went the distance in a not-so-great fight. You got three five-round fights coming up. Fuck it, let's just go to the next thing. That's my operative theory. I really don't believe that they thought he was going to come out and say something, I don't know, anti-Semitic or something. Like, dude, Bilal Muhammad is very pro-Palestinian, as am I. I'm not Palestinian, but you guys know my loyalties. I am firmly, firmly of the belief that, um, you know, uh, the Palestinian people are mistreated. But even I don't think that what they were trying to do was censor pro-Palestinian worldviews. Um, I can't say for sure that's what they were doing. But just knowing how production works, that didn't even occur to me. The first thing that occurred to me was, oh yeah, they just moved on from that shit. They got, they got, they got three five-round fights coming up. Fuck that. They just moved on. That was exactly what came to me. In fact, it wasn't until people hit me up afterwards being like, hey, did the UFC censor him? That I was like... Well, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, so, you, you know, everyone can believe what they want, but gun to my head, forced to make a call here, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that it had nothing to do with that. I mean, just think about how many weird-ass fucking things fighters say, and do they, you know, you're, you're, they're giving you a Palestinian fight kit. You're coming out to, I think the name of the song is something like, like My Blood is Palestinian, like super pro-Palestinian stuff. And and Bilal Muhammad, dude, what, what does he say that's ever been controversial hey my dad's store was vandalized is that controversial no i like being palestinian you know uh is that controversial in fact um what was the last media day i went to he fought on i'll tell you exactly what it was you can go back and look at the interview if it ever got posted i don't remember if i did i know the audio got posted i don't know if the video got posted i interviewed him at media day for the ufc's first show on espn plus that was that let me verify that i think that was the because it was the same was let's see so this would have been when he beat tj dillashaw ufc fight night cejudo versus dillashaw so was Bilal muhammad on that card yes he got beat by jeff neal that night i interviewed him at that media day and i asked him do you feel a responsibility to uh you know speak about Palestinian issues and his answer was yeah of course but you know I come in peace like, he had a real very much like you know I just want people to know more about my people I don't want to get into geopolitical uh um back and forths just that you know I love who I am and I want people to know about it and I want to represent them he's never said anything 
that was remotely, uh, you know, to my knowledge, controversial about the the rights of Palestinians. Uh, so I, I again, I understand the question. You know, every time I say something pro-Palestinian, even for this, I get fucking shitloads of hate mail. I get angry emails. I get DMs calling me all fucking kinds of names. I I, I get it. I get it. But I I really don't think that's what happened there. <laughs> Uh, who'd win a debate between Biden and Putin? That's a funny question. You know, Biden is, he did better against Trump than I thought he did, than I thought he would rather. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't fucking know. I mean, you know, an honest debate between the two of them. I don't know. Is such a thing even humanly possible? (laughs) Uh, any idea why it is referred to as a submission when a limb breaks or someone is put to sleep. So it's actually not called a submission by itself. It's called a technical submission, right? Because uh, the idea is you didn't get the full official tap, the I surrender, the I submit to you. But, you know, you got what the submission is attempting to do within the framework of human biology and the rules, right? You put them to sleep, fight over. You broke their arm, we cannot continue with this. Um, so they call it a technical submission. And he asked, why not call it an, a strangulation of your arm break? Yeah, I mean, you know, you already use the words knockout and stuff, which is comes from boxing. Do I think that adding strangulation and arm break to commission vocabulary as a method of victory would be good for MMA's image? Probably not. Probably not. Luke, have you ever encountered or overheard a conversation about a fighter being paid to throw or a ref being paid to stop it early if given the chance? I can honestly say with full sincerity, I have never heard that. And I have never personally like eavesdropped on a conversation or something where that, that was being discussed. Never. Does Diaz manifesting that rally against Edwards in the fifth add some credibility to what some people were saying about the stoppage against Masvidal and how Diaz was coming into his element? Well, sort of. I mean, a little bit maybe, right? Like, I mean, yes and no. On the one hand, what was the big takeaway from Nate and that fight, which is, to me, it was it was proof of concept. He wanted that fight to go five rounds for a reason, right? First one, non-title, non-made event, because he wanted every opportunity against a guy who was not a devastating finisher to land a big shot and maybe, you know, take over the fight and win. Well, you got pretty close in the end there. If that, and I, by the way, I had conversations with his people. Like, that was the bet. The bet was if it was five rounds over three, Leon Edwards is not a big guy at 170, and he's not a devastating finisher in any capacity. Um, it gives you time to hang around and do stuff. That's exactly what happened. Not enough to matter in the end. In fact, you've had three fights now where I think Diaz has gone past the third round, and he's lost all of them. So, like, you know, what does the math say? The math says that's not really true, but, you know, the greater details say that it's a little bit more of a muddled picture. The problem against Masvidal, dude, and I don't know why people don't understand this. Go back and watch that fight. Dude, that was a beatdown. That was a one-sided shellacking. Yes, is it certainly conceivable that if the fight had continued uh, under the same kind of basic idea where you've got you know another minute or two to land something, does that increase your odds of landing it? Maybe. I don't think that's crazy. 
But dude, he was getting beat up. Like it that was not a close. I mean, people, oh, it was a close fight. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a close fight. And and Masvidal was hurting him. Leg kicks, knees up the middle, hard fucking uh, overhand rights and hooks. I, could I entirely dismiss the idea that um, you know something dangerous could have happened to him later? Of course not. But you know, forced to make a bet. Mm-mm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking that bet. No. Uh, Luke, what do you think of Darren Till saying, "quote Let's sign a petition to get Brendan Schaub out of MMA." End quote because of his reaction to the Logan and Mayweather fight. I mean, I don't know what you fucking guys want from Brendan. Listen, I'm not gonna go and rush to anyone's defense like it's a like they're a damsel in distress. Brendan's a big boy, and you want to be in the spotlight. People are gonna go after you. Right, so if Darren Till wants to go after him, I, I, fine, go after him. Like I, it's whatever, you know. Um, you know, you can't you can't police people's tastes in that way. But at the same time, I, I watched the clip and I'm like, I'm really kind of struggling to understand what the problem is here. Uh, I don't know the nature of their friendship, and everyone wants to assume that everything Brendan does is bad faith, which you know you, you're entitled to that. But knowing the guy personally, it's just just doesn't match the reality that I know and you can take that for what it's worth and more to the point dude the guy him and Logan Paul are friends Logan Paul won eight rounds with Mayweather and he got whooped but like relative to what I thought was going to happen and all of you thought was going to happen he he overperformed he overperformed you know what does that mean does he mean he's going to be a future as a pro boxer no of course not like I think if you fought anyone who was really good uh you know with a commensurate level of experience he'd get worked but the the but I, you know, I don't know that either. But the point being is, dude, a friend had a huge moment, and he kind of did better than expectations. You know, was Brendan effusive with praise? Yeah, but like, dude, if that was your friend, what would you say? Would you go in there and be like, hey, good job losing all eight rounds, fuckface? You know, what, would you, what do you want him to say? And then the other argument is, oh, well, don't put it on, on, on um, social. Okay. I don't put a whole lot of things on Instagram because you guys know I think my life is pretty boring for the most part. If something relatively interesting happens, I'll put it on there. But if not, I don't really know what to do with the thing. You know, well, forty-one-year-old dad, you can hear my daughter out here just you know screaming like my life is not my life is not especially cool. Uh, but if you're gonna go that route and he goes that route and you put it, I, I mean, I, I just like of all the things people want to kill Brendan over, that's the fucking thing that people want to kill him over because he was nice to a friend who had a who had a moment. I, I just. I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. So, like, am I here to, like, oh, shame on Darren Till? Look, people can say what they want, man. It, 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 let, let, them, let them have their say. Let them air out all their grievances. I, but for the life of me, for the life of me, that's the thing? Like, if y'all want to get after him for his verbal trip-ups and all this kind of stuff, I, I completely understand that. I mean, that's, you know, it's funny on some level, right? And I think he understands that, too. At least he should, um, if he doesn't. But, but that shit, like, you know, people just... You get to a certain point with certain folks where they can't see any other action that you take as anything other than bad faith posturing. They cannot imagine a world where there's anything other than that. And, uh, you know, I know Brendan Schaub, and I know most of his critics don't. And I'm just telling you folks, like, I've just never had anything other than a genuine great experience with him. And I'm going to say it one more fucking time because it bears repeating here. Dude, there are 
just absolute snakes through this business in every level, in every level. And most people won't do shit for you. And if they do something for you, they definitely want something in return, which I'm okay with. You know, that that's you know that deal trading is how things should, on some level, should go. Dude, he has never needed anything from me. He doesn't get anything from me. You know, there's no benefit for him to have lobbied on behalf of me in the way that he has. And he just went ahead and still did it. Is that bad faith posturing? It it must be, right? Because everything he does is bad faith posturing. Well, what is that? What is that? Who has an answer for that? Dude, that's him doing nice shit for his friends. It's him doing nice shit for people he cares about. Like, like... You know, maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't have to put that clip on social. Okay, fine. He he deserves to get roasted for that. I just don't. I I you know. I, I'm sure I'm bi- I'm 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 unbelievably biased. I have my own blinders on. I get it, but I see the world the way in which I see the world, and I just see people attribute these motivations to him. That I'm like, this is not. Y'all don't fucking know this guy, man. Uh, not like I do. And how do you explain what he has done for me? Uh, you know, going to bat for show in Showtime in, in in ways that you just couldn't imagine. Is that all bad faith posturing? He got nothing out of it. You know, dude, maybe he just likes to say nice things to friends. I I, I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me, but because I really don't get it. I get some of the other stuff, the goofy shit he wears. You know, I killed him for his own uh, uh, benching and shit. And, uh, you know, he has verbal slip-ups. I, I, I understand that. That just comes with the territory. Because I know that if I slip up, Bohoshina Depot is going to fucking roast me. Man, it comes with the territory. Fine. You know, I get it. Um, saying nice shit to a friend? Okay. Did you watch the Riddell versus Dober fight? If so, what were your thoughts? And do you have an estimation of how far Brad can go? Do I have a very high opinion about Brad Riddell? A very, I got a high opinion about Drew Dober. I have a very high opinion about Brad Riddell. Dude, Dober is a bad motherfucker, and he put it on him, Brad Riddell, early in that fight. He snuck that straight right down the middle. Riddell did not see it coming, and it dropped him. And it took every ounce of what he had, including all of the well-rounded mixed martial arts. Remember, he's a decorated kickboxer. But he did use all the well-rounded mixed martial arts abilities that he had, all of that veteran experience, to survive and then to turn the tide and then to use all the dimensions in play to do it. Because by the way, Dober was still landing on him through the second and even parts of the third, like hard. That dude's got a chin. That dude has a will. That dude has a great team, obviously. He has, I think he's physically strong for the weight class. I think he's a much better wrestler than even I realized. How far can he go? You know, we're going to have to see. Obviously, you know, the Dober testing in the way makes you maybe say, well, um, is he a little bit more hittable? Are there some defensive issues as it relates to MMA, right? Because if you can level change and shit, you know, like a, like a Gregor Gillespie could or something, then that could, you know, raise some defensive issues. But in terms of the character and the grit and then the implementation of the strategy after all of the trouble, I found that to be extremely impressive from Brad Riddell. I have a very high opinion of what he did there. Do you think BC will ever surprise you with a painting that deserves a compliment? Or is it just a part of the MK art to shit on his heart? Well, I am I am clearly not an uh, art critic. I'll just say this. Um, you know, that kind of abstract art I used to do. <laughs> and everyone shat on me and my family for it. So I feel like I'm just paying it forward at this point. Um, listen, man, if you're going to create art 
you know, I guess if you're very good at it, it's for the world. But I've always thought it thought it to be something like people do for therapy for themselves. So, you know, if you want praise from others, do something that others benefit from, I guess. What has hurt jujitsu the most? Double guard pulling advantages, Brazilian favoritism from the IBJJF refs. Double guard pulling. The, the culture of guard pulling. Uh, of just the culture of uh, takedowns being um, a function of development that is inherently unnecessary given the rule set. You do not need to learn takedowns. Uh, obviously, there can be some benefits to learning takedowns beyond just sort of the character of being well-rounded. There can be some strategic advantages, certainly in a wider array of changing rule sets. It's obviously good to have, uh, especially with with uh, with um, Nogi in, in particular, but because um, there still is a little bit of a judo element. You know, um, uh, Adolfo Vieira had really good gripping systems and some good takedowns with with the, the collar. You know, even at the purple belt level, you'll still see some like collar drags and things like that. Um, advantages are not great and you know any kind of favoritism i think has sometimes been true i've definitely seen it but i've definitely seen people go back oh that was brazilian favoritism i'm like mm, i think you lost um but the double guard pulling which is less about the double any kind of guard pulling i think frankly is understandable given all the incentives and the way people learn but that is a um it's a real problem it's a real problem One of these already answered about Connor. Let's see if we get something new here. Luke, let's pretend Nate Diaz got the finish in that fifth round. What happens next for Nate? And what fight do you think he gets next after handing Leon his first finish in MMA? Does Leon get put back in a title shot jail for at least another year and a half? Yeah, it would be devastating for him, number one. Number two... Um. Second thing I would say is the question is not like what you would ordinarily presume to happen to any fighter in that circumstance, but very particularly what would happen to Nate. I don't know if Nate would get a title shot. I'm frankly not even sure if he would care. I mean, I think he'd take it if the circumstances were right, but I don't know if that would be his like be-all, end-all goal. If it set up some kind of other lucrative uh, possibility, whatever that may be, let's say Connor beats Dustin or something, you know, would he take that? I know that I know that the Connor fight and then the Masvidal fight; those are things you could do again, even with the loss. But I wonder if winning might facilitate it in some kind of way. But you know, I think the three major things you would think about at that point would be Connor trilogy, depending on how things go with him. You could do the Masvidal rematch, and then a title shot against Kamaru. I, I I don't know if he wins any of those fights. He might, but that's probably where it puts him. You know, biggest stage. He doesn't mind being the B side to some of those guys in certain ways. Uh, obviously, he's much more popular than Kamaru. Although I think Kamaru's popularity has come a really long way. I really do. Uh, I think that I think we don't talk about it enough, dude. Kamaru knocking out Jorge Masvidal was big, really big for his career. I don't know that it puts him on the same level as Jorge, or certainly not Connor. Maybe not even Nate. But like, I am going to be curious to see, you know, uh, when Masvidal fights again, how that pay per view does if it's not a huge name opponent. Because I bet it does actually better than three or four hundred k. Um, so we'll see. So I think it would put Nate in that kind of uh, position. Um, if media does the rankings, then how come stuff happens that so clearly fits UFC motives? 
such as Leon being removed from rankings when he didn't fight the Chimaya fight and added back when he won. Well, in fairness to the media, that's not their call. That's the UFC's call. Hi, Luca. Moving to the DMV. That's the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. I fucking hate that acronym. Uh, I was wondering if you know any decent MMA BJJ gyms in the area. Yeah, there's a few. Any of the Yamasaki Academies are great. Um, uh, there's uh, on 14th Street, Beta Academy, where I trained at for a long time. It's run by Pedro Sauer, Black Belt. You know, if you're up for it, if it's something you want, obviously there's a little bit of controversy around it, but there's the whole Lloyd Irvin system. There's Crazy 88. There's, um, you know, his place in Camp Springs. It's obviously, you know, again, super high level. Uh, there's going to be 50-50 with Ryan Hall out of Falls Church, which is just outside the city. Um, there's going to be Capital MMA. There's Pentagon MMA. I mean, you, you can swing a dead cat and hit a, a BJJ gym around here. There's a shitload. MMA gym is a little bit harder to come by, but even then there's some. Um, there's a bunch of MMA gyms in um, in uh, Northern Virginia. They fight on all like the Operation Octagon or, or Cage Zilla cards. Uh, if you just go look at a Cage Zilla card and see the teams where they're from, Kaizen MMA, K-A-I-Z-E-N, is an MMA gym. Uh, the jiu-jitsu, I would say, is very high level in the D.C. area. Not like the highest level, but it's, it's pretty good. MMA is a little less so here. Hi, Luke. Oh, let's see. My friends believe in fairy tales about the rock being natural. <laughs> Woo, your friends are dumb. And MMA and professional sports being clean. It's so funny. In your opinion, should we let people keep on believing in Santa or should we forcefully tube feed them the reality of the world? Also, anyone in particular you would recommend that talks about PEDs and sports? More plates, more dates. Thanks for the content. Yeah, dude, listen. The rock is, you know, he's, he's, he's almost certainly... He's not natural. You don't look like that at his age without a little bit of help. And let me say, God bless him. God bless The Rock. I followed The Rock on Instagram recently. He's fucking motivating, dude. That guy is the American dream in every way imaginable. You know, I'm not into the pro wrestling shit, but I'm into the weight room shit. And he is a fucking beast in the weight room. Seems like a nice guy. Has a positive attitude. He's got he's got a go-getter attitude. I like seeing that on my timeline, you know? Like, The Rock is the shit. Two thumbs up on The Rock. I love him. But he ain't natural, bro. Like, you cannot look like that with that amount of lean muscle and be that fucking shredded without a little bit of help. And who gives a fuck? Honestly, who who could possibly care? You want to have a debate about what it means in sports. That's one thing. What is this? What is this? He has all the money in the world. He's got all the places to get information and uh, questions answered and to uh, look into this and to make uh, appropriate decisions for his health and his family and his life. Leave the rock the fuck alone. If he wants to be juiced to the titties, I say good. Great. Makes him fucking bigger. We don't have enough people on steroids, frankly, in this world. There should be more of them. In any event, as it relates to professional sports, it's just comical to me that you have all of these people out here being like, wow, these guys are playing into their 40s. Yeah, I wonder how that's happening. Hmm. Especially with increased load over time. Athletes playing more games maybe than they ever have. How did, how did that happen? It must be all that asparagus and, and uh, good night's rest that they're getting. I mean, you need those things, but... You know, it's just it, the, people have no idea what goes into elite athletic performance. And the reality is many, many, many of your best memories, your favorite teams, your favorite athletes, they are built on the back of, in many cases, strategic, but in other cases, just outright performance enhancing drug use. 
People don't want to know how the sausage is made. They just want to deliver it to their plate in a nice edible way, but they don't want to know about the slaughtering process and the casing process and everything else. They don't want to know about that. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've had a lot of private conversations with athletes about this. It is rampant across sports. Rampant. Rampant. Everywhere you turn, it's nearly there. You know. Oh, they caught Eric Koch recently. Did you guys see that, USADA? It's like you caught one champion since y'all been here. Y'all really think one champion uh, has been using? <laughs> I mean, it's just a fucking joke. It's a complete joke. So uh, your friends are deeply... I'm sure they're very nice people. And by the way, they're not the only ones. I had a debate uh, with a, a, a buddy of mine. He and his wife, uh, I knew him from a long time ago. He and his wife are both uh, doctors. And they were saying shit to me that was like, they don't know. Here's what people don't understand. You can have some degree of you know uh, medical expertise, but people don't know a whole lot about anti-doping. And they don't know a whole lot about, you know, uh, one was a radiologist and the other one doesn't really, you know, doesn't really deal with, um, you know, chemical use in the body. And, you know, I was sh showing them information that just totally contradicted everything they said verifiably. And they were shocked. They were shocked. Dude, I'm telling you, people, people, they want to live in a world where um, there's this Horatio Alger myths about up from the bootstraps and I'm going to eat my Wheaties and I'm going to bed on time and I'm going to read my Bible and take my vitamins and say my prayers. It's all bullshit, man. Listen, you can't look like the rock without an insane amount of hard work. I mean, just every day killing yourself, but you also can't recover and then go back to it and then look the way he looks with the amount of lean muscle and the fat proportion without, without help. And I got to tell you, if anything, I'm jealous of him. Not bad at him, even a little bit. Go look at Eddie Hall, who's going to have this match with uh, Hafthor Bjornsson. The dude is th almost 400 pounds, and he has abs. Folks, what do you think? He just does more sit-ups than everybody else? You know, and I don't give a shit what he used. It means absolutely nothing to me. If that's the way that he wants to live his life, and if he's in a competition where everybody knows the score, why, why do I give a fuck? It's his life. He is an informed adult. He can make his own choices. He certainly has all the money in the world to find the best doctors and to get the best kind of treatment and to get the best kind of medical advice for people who actually know what they're talking about in those particular fields. And he wants to use it. Why on earth would I care? This is weird moralizing. Let's police the world because we think it will make it better. Um, let's get, let's get, let's, you know, everyone wants... Uh, um, the, the war on drugs is a dramatic failure everywhere. Oh, except for right here. Oh, well, that's not part. PEDs are not part of the war on drugs. You ignorant motherfuckers. The use of amphetamines in cycling dovetails directly with Nixon beginning the crackdown on the, war, on the initial stage of the war on drugs. The two are intertwined. You actually don't even think about anti-doping in its initial stages without the initial stages made possible by the war on drugs. They are linked forever. It's just, they don't, people, people have no fucking idea what they're talking about. Dude, I have literally, people ask me for reading lists. I have recommended study after study, book after book, research paper after research paper from experts in the field who have done nothing but devote their lives to the study of this shit and people won't read it and then tell me, well, I think anti-doping is a success. Man, fuck you. 
You don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know shit. You are ignorant about it all. Read what I have read. Ask the questions of those people that you have, you may have. Go get a second opinion on all of it, but 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 peruse the literature and then come back to me and tell me I'm wrong. I will issue that Pepsi challenge to anybody. To anybody. I had a reading list I put out on Instagram. I think I put it on Twitter too. Uh, right after I went on Rogan's show because we talked about it there. Read that and then come to me with a straight face and be like, anti-doping is working. What a fucking joke. What a joke. But people, people need fiction for stability in their life. They need fiction for world building. They need fiction for to make sense of the world as it's been presented to them. Uh, it, it's it's hard to understand the world absent those things. Uh, if you're if 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 you've been going down one path for so long, but fellas, ladies, go look on my Instagram page right after I, whatever date I was on for the Rogan Show. I don't remember this one was it October or something. I, whatever it was, go look at the post I made after that. I listed everything because I've done the homework. I've looked at what. Wait 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 wait. What do experts in this field who don't study anything else but this, what do they tell us about the perils of overzealous instrumentation? What do they tell us about the distinction between private versus public use on PEDs? What do they tell us about the history of the war on drugs and anti-doping? What do they tell us about what, the, what, what measurements in the field in terms of how much use there is? Uh, what are the actual facts about that? How much evidence is there to support any of the drugs that are listed on the WADA code? And by the way, that's a whole other fucking can of worms you can get into. There are certain people in this world who have reviewed all that information. There's doctors for WADA or something like that. Um, these, are, these are acolytes. These are zealots. But I think that for the most part, I don't think you can do the research on this topic in due diligence and in good faith and come back to me and say, yeah, anti-doping's working. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Because the evidence suggesting otherwise is enormous. It is enormous. But people just don't want to do the work. So I sound like a raving fucking lunatic presenting to you things. I'm, I'm only telling you about things research universities have done. I'm only telling you about things people who have advanced degrees and have done nothing else or, or even former athletes to a degree, I mean, every kind of stakeholder in the, in the chain. The only ones who, who will look at you with a straight face and say anti-doping is moral, it is necessary, and it is working are, are people who are just willing to entertain fiction. Comes down to that. Uh, if you wanted to institute some other reforms or like I've said before, I think last week on this chat I said, so then to the effect of, you know, uh, if the UFC had wanted to bring in VADA, the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association, um, versus USADA, I would probably have a lot less of an issue. That, that, that is true, because at least there, there's just agency among the athlete to get into what they want to know. If they want to go participate in that, you know, they have a choice to participate. Okay, all right. I mean, that's a world I can live in. But folks, I'm telling you, please, not, not even I'm telling you, I encourage you, fact check it. Fact check it. Read the stuff I've written, or... People who critique that work, because uh, there's there's certainly a range of, de of opinions and a range of debate out there. But go through the literature as it has been collected by the experts in this field. Go through all of it that I have listed, the stuff that I have painstakingly gone through, and then come back to me with a straight face and tell me you believe anti-doping is working.
I would bet every fucking red cent I own. You couldn't do it. Could not do it. Um, favorite MK moment so far? I don't know, man. I had some private conversations with some Showtime folks in Miami. I told you guys, that Mayweather-Paul fight, you know, it, whatever. But the coverage we were able to give and some of the things we were able to show, not just that day, but, you know, in the lead up to, not even the week, I mean the year or two prior. I, what, shit, July is going to be two years we've been with Showtime, right? Isn't that wild? So all that stuff leading up to, we had some conversations about how Showtime felt about us with some upper level Showtime folks. And it was, it was rewarding, man. It was awesome. It was really, 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 really awesome. So I don't know if that's like an on-air moment, but like, you know, the return to the studio for the first time for me was great. Um, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, you know what the best part about MK is, dude? I, I look forward to it every time. I look forward to it every every time, every time. Even if there's no fights to talk about, I know I'm never I'm never going to go there and be like, oh, I had a bad time. It doesn't work that way for me. I, I have to think about like individual moments on the show that are my favorite. The pandemic, you know, obviously kind of derailed some stuff. Um, but yeah, like the return to the studio the first time was big. That conversation I had about what MK was doing was big. There's been, There's been some good stuff. Um, let's do one or two more. So I, uh, I don't want more fitness questions. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, barely even fucking, um, Luke, are you still tracking? Yes. For flexible dieting? Yes. So that I watched doc three and your body recomp is looking good day by day. I had a lot of, I had a lot of damage to undo. Um, for sure, I worked out right before the show today in my front yard. Uh, calories you're aiming for, I, I, they, they alter a little bit. Um, some days I don't track. Uh, if, certainly if I'm traveling, you have to. But, um, you know, it, it, it can, I, I don't really want to say because it can vary a little bit. Um, but I would just say that what I've learned is through track, you, like tracking every single day can become exhausting. It's the one real problem with flexible dieting. But if you do it long enough, you begin to realize what foods you can have and what foods you can't have. You begin to realize um, uh, how to balance them, how to when to eat them, what you respond to, what what improves satiety, what doesn't. Um, and I've gotten f pretty good at it. I've gotten pretty good at it. I, I, I you know, quarantine was embarrassing for me. Didn't even realize how bad it got until one day, just kind of. You know, smacks you in the face. You're like, fuck. You know, it's going to take me a while to undo all the damage. But I'm on my way, folks. I'm out there. I'm out there doing the work. And, uh, you know, obviously it could be better. It's certainly not perfect. But, and I'm a little bit older now, so it's going to take a little longer than it used to. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm real happy with the progress today. And, you know, one day at a time. One day at a time. All right, last one. If, I, I just really believe, I said this before, dude, if you guys are goal building, you know, it's good to have a number in mind, I think, as like a North Star, like, hey, I want to get to, you know, whatever it is. 
you know, my Marine Corps weight was 225, pretty, pretty far from that. But even now, I'm not even sure if I could do that really. I mean, it, dude, that was a struggle for me when I was in my 20s, hardcore in the gym. Like, I don't even know if I could do that now. So, you know, uh, having a number in mind is fine, but I really believe it's just the day-to-day consistency. That's it, man. For anything, anything you want to do, fitness, fucking whatever, anything. I go to, I wake up every day and I'm like, what's the plan today? I usually have, you know, a plan for a week, but I'm saying I remind myself what the plan is today. Uh, Let's just go in there and have quality work. You know, let's try our best uh, to stay within our parameters for eating. And let's just be consistent and as disciplined as we can. You don't have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. If you try to be perfect, you're going to fail. But but focus on the day-to-day. And over time, you don't think about it this way, but each of those days, again, this is just not for fitness. This is for anything. Each of those days, whatever your goal you're working towards about building uh, wealth, about you know a home project, whatever, every day that you stay consistent about your plan, that's a win. That's a win. Dude, you put enough wins together, you can do pretty impressive things. You could, you'd be very surprised at the kind of things you can pull off and how, and how not effortless, but like that's when everything comes to you. Have a plan, detail it, make it doable, make it realistic, and then just consistently apply it. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fall off sometimes. That's okay. Consistently apply it. You're going to see I took BC to the gym in Doc 3. Um, you know, that week I was in Miami, I still got to the gym four times on the road. Four times, because that's the plan. The plan is, uh, well, for that week anyway, so it's more here, but it was four times. Boom, didn't miss it on the road. You got meetings coming and going. When the fuck am I about? I got up early and just went and, and went and did it four times on the road. This is not some grand achievement. I don't present it to you that way, but I didn't derail my path because once you begin to derail your path, you begin to make excuses. Ah, I can do it tomorrow. It's okay. Yeah, what if I miss one? All right, I can just do a little bit less. It, the, the, the complacency and the laziness and the accommodation, that will build on itself just as the consistency of Ws will, will, will uh, accumulate and build on themselves. So my recommendation is to everybody, it doesn't matter what you're doing, plan, focus, doable, doesn't have to be perfect, you won't be perfect. The challenge is always just be consistent that day. Have a plan, be consistent that day. And that's a win. When you put your head on the pillow that night, if you did what you were supposed to, or at least pretty close, that's a win. And the accumulation of wins over time, big, huge. That's how winning is done, folks. All right, let's call it a day there. My daughter's probably going to have a fucking meltdown. So love you guys, man. Thank you so much for watching this. I really appreciate it. Show tomorrow, tons of breakdowns, tons of stuff coming your way. Um, yeah, so let's do this. Let's, my neck feels better not looking constantly to my right. Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Uh, yeah, I'll see you guys tomorrow with Brian Campbell. Until then. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.